wonderful. If you could have someone, some super saint, pray for you, who would it be and what would you ask them to pray for? Kind of carte blanche. Well, you know, maybe one of the people that we might ask to pray for us would be the Apostle Paul. I mean, it's hard to do better than him, right? Well, you could say Jesus. Okay, I'll grant you that. All right, but, but wouldn't it be incredible to have the Apostle Paul pray for you? Now, what would you ask for? Healing, uh, a new job, um, prosperity, perhaps for our children. That's a good thing to pray for. Perhaps that God would reduce the trials in our lives. Today, we peel back the cover and we see exactly what Paul Praise for his favorite people. I think that's rather intriguing. What would the Apostle Paul pray for for his favorite people? It's a short passage of Scripture today, but it's packed. Here it is. First, uh, Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. He says, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the praise and glory of God. Paul had a passion for spiritual development. So what does he pray? He prays for that. He prays for them who are already mature to, to continue to grow in grace. And one specific area is foremost in his prayer. What is it? That your love may abound. That's what he prays for. That's what I'm hoping we'll get this morning. And that's what I'm hoping God will do in our midst. We see this come out clearly at verse 9. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more. New American Standard says that your love may overflow. Regarding this word agape, Greek word for love, Fee writes, following the lead of the Septuagint, his use of love, first of all, points to the character of God. And 
to God's actions towards his people based on that character. God's love is demonstrated, especially in his forbearance and kindness, manifested ultimately in the death of Christ to pay for sins. So the primary idea of love is not affection, but rather a sober kind of love that places high value on a person and actively seeks that person's benefit. I don't know if you've really grasped this, but love is a hard thing to define, especially in our culture, which has all kinds of ideas about what love is. And I think this idea of seeking the other person's highest benefit rings true. When we can seek what the other person needs, especially needs in Christ, that's the kind of love that God wants us to be able to have and to experience and to share. Agape purposely seeks the welfare of the one loved and springs from the intelligence and goodwill. Now, there's another kind of Greek word, um, another Greek word, uh, phileo, which means to love in a brotherly kind of way. You can hear the city of Philadelphia was named from this word. And that's a good word, and that's a good love to have, this kind of fond affection. But it's centered more in the person. It's more in... There's something about them that you like. You know, you husbands, you, you love your wives. There's something in them you like, and that's a good thing. But this word, agape, is not centered in the one who is loved. It flows from the care and concern of the one who does the loving. Agape love is... is a very rare word in Greek culture, but the New Testament takes this word and infuses it with meaning and stories and just makes it fabulous. Agape love. If we can achieve this for God and other people, we will be on our way to maturity. This is the love that God has. This is the love that he is and he gives. John explains it this way. And we have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God. And God in him. If this agape love is a supernatural kind of love found in source from God, it makes sense that no unbeliever will be able to manifest this love, right? I mean, they're not connected to the source. They can't have this love flow because they don't know God. I'm going to take it a step further. I'm going to suggest to you that believers who are not in fellowship with God they can't manifest this love either because they're not in connection with the source. It's kind of like we have this air hose from God 
and we step on the air hose, <laughs> it stops the flow. So whatever we need to do to take our foot off the air hose and get that flowing again, be in fellowship with God, have him supply that love so we can experience giving that kind. Romans 5.5 says the love of God, the agape love of God, has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, God models this kind of love for us. And we see that clearly in that famous, famous verse which begins, God so loved. And the word is agapao, the verb form of agape. God loved to this degree that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. As believers surrender to the power of the Holy Spirit and yield ourselves over to God, the love that he had, and the love that he gave is available to us. And he can begin to love other people through us. If God could love his enemies to that degree that he gave his son, what he can do in our lives through us to friend and foe, is also amazing. Once we're yielded and connected to the Holy Spirit, we can begin to yield fruit in a supernatural way. Paul explained, writing that the fruit of the Spirit is love, agape, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and all the rest. But you cannot, as a believer, bear fruit unless you abide in the vine, in Christ Jesus, who explained, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Isn't that humbling? I, I can't do it. You know, we, we tend to think, oh, I can pat myself on the back. I've arrived. You know, I've walked with the Lord all these years. Without Him doing it in us, we can do nothing. That's humbling. It's not us that is able to do that. You know, before you think that you're really spiritual, you know, just driving out and regular traffic out in this area, in this congested area, and people cut you off, and you find out what that natural man is still capable of doing, don't you? But when the Spirit of God is producing the character of God in our lives, that's when we experience the kind of thing that Christ was talking about. As we abide in Him, as we are in fellowship with Him, as we're connected to Him in obedience, 
we begin to have him produce in our lives the very character of Christ. Well, how do we know we are walking in the Spirit and abiding in the vine Christ Jesus? How do we know that? Well, Paul gives us a practical checklist to determine whether we're doing that or not. Love is. Love is patient. Love is kind and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. Does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. Does not take into account a wrong suffered. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. You see, this agape love is a sacrificial choice. We choose to love. And it's expressed often in meeting a need, the need of an individual and the need of group. We do deeds of kindness, caring for someone in a practical way. This love, I want to underscore again, is not based on feelings. I feel love for them. It's not that. It's I choose to love. I thought about various people, and I could have used a number of illustrations. I, I thought about George and Esther, um, wonderful, wonderful friends, and great couple in our church. And um, Esther's mom is getting up there in years. She has been a missionary to Mexico. A Swedish lady, just a wisp of a woman, a missionary in Mexico. Well, she became unable to live in her own home. George and Esther traveled on a regular basis to their home. You had a lot of stuff to get rid of, <laughs> to downsize, to make it possible for her to come here. And you cared for her every step of the way. You demonstrated that agape love. And then when she was no longer able to live on her own, they lovingly, took her into their own home. And I think women do this better than men. And Esther, I can understand you as a daughter loving your mother, taking her in. But for a son-in-law, for George, to demonstrate that same type of love, I got to get a glimpse of God's love flowing through. And that's a beautiful thing. That's the kind of thing that God is looking for in us. Sacrificial love, where we choose to love. Not because we get warm, fuzzy feelings, you might, but not primarily because of that, but because we choose to love because God loved first. Now Paul prays for this love to abound. 
to be great, to overflow to someone, to have large measure turn out abundantly. You've heard of the cup and you've heard the saying, is your cup cup half empty or half full? Well, just by the way, I, I thought I'd share briefly, my family had a family friend and he was coming over for supper and, and he was close enough friend that they could play a practical joke on him. So a friend of my brother's, my parents in their home, they had glasses for water and one of the glasses in the process of washing it had gotten a little chip and you could hardly see that chip. But the fact was, it wouldn't hold water anymore. There'd be a slow, steady dribble out of this, this hole. And, and so when Doug came over, and he's the kind of practical joke kind of guy anyway, so uh, they said, hey, Doug, it's hot out there. I bet you'd love a glass of water here. And they handed him the glass, but they had their finger over that hole so it didn't leak. And he took the glass and he started drinking well. It just streamed down there. <laughs> Well, what does this have to do with a sermon? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> Except getting back to that idea of is a cup half empty or half full? And secular mankind is making that evaluation. But I'm going to suggest to you, we can look at it at an entirely different way. Not only is our cup filled with the grace of God and his love for us. But our cup is overflowing because the love of God manifests itself if we allow it in our lives to our family, to our friends, to our neighbors, to our community in a variety of ways. We have new opportunities every single day to do this, don't we? And God's love is always there, always capable, and God can lead us and fill us and enable us to love in this way. We might ask, how will this love abound? Paul gives two ways. First, in knowledge. Now, there are a couple of related Greek words in the New Testament. One is the word gnosis or gnosis. It's the word for basic knowledge. And this word could be true or it could be false. It's like we go on the internet and we read some interesting story. It might be true or it might be right. So that's the basic idea behind that word. But this other word, this word that's here in this text is the word epigenosis, okay? Higher knowledge. This word is always true as we find it in the New Testament. And it usually is in the area of something spiritual, something practical for people, but in the spiritual realm. And we need this kind of knowledge to know how to love. You know, somebody comes in and they, they are looking for money. That's a hard one. I usually hand those over to Todd. <laughs> it's, it's challenging to know. Is it best to 
give them money? Is it best to take them to a gas station to provide something physical and tangible? You know where the money goes. Is it best to share the gospel with them? Usually, yes. Is it best to meet that need? Or is there some underlying need that needs to be cared for? We need to be able to have this epigenosis, this knowledge, to be able to know how to meet that need. The second way that love abounds is depth of insight. This is an interesting word from which we get our English word aesthetics from. And it means to perceive. It refers to the capacity to understand, referring not so much to an intellectual acuteness, but to a moral sensitivity about how to love. Stephen Hawking was a brilliant individual, but we wouldn't go to Stephen Hawking to find out how to love in God's way. This love needs to be accompanied with insight to know how to best do this. You know, sometimes every parent struggles with what is best for their child. When very young, parents put up limits. For example, putting in wall plugs in the outlet to make sure that they don't shock themselves, right? But as they get older, there needs to be less limits. You don't need to put up those limits. They've learned, they've grown, they've matured. And now they can begin to be a little more adult-like. But there is still that challenge as they get older. You know, how do you, how do you know? For example, they're invited to go away for the weekend. They're still young. What's the right age? And I can't tell you. It might not be the same age for every child or every circumstance. You need divine wisdom. You need to know how to love your child. And sometimes you might say no, you're protecting the child. Other times you might say yes, and then you pray like crazy. This depth of insight that comes helps us know how to love. I'll give you a couple of Verses that are different translations. The King James Version. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and all judgment. Or the waymouth. And this is my prayer, that your love may be more and more accompanied by clear knowledge and keen perception for testing things that differ. Sometimes we need to test things to know what is the right thing to do at the right time. I think America needs this a lot. About a week ago, Kirby Anderson wrote a column on syncretism. He says in his latest American Worldview Inventory, George Barna, George Barna does surveys, George Barna concludes that only 6% of American adults 
have a biblical worldview. We might ask what the others believe. And he says that 88% hold to a worldview that could be best described as syncretism. Syncretism is a cut and paste type of thing where you're including various things. It's not internally consistent, but Americans apparently like picking and choosing. It's kind of like a buffet. You know, you get a little of this and a little of that, whatever you feel like at the time. You add this and you mix that. You take a little bit from the Bible. I think what a lot of people in America, the one verse they know is, you shall not judge. <laughs> and that's about the extent of their Bible knowledge. And then they add all sorts of different views they get off the web and off of TV and of music and culture. And they mix it all together. And they primarily use this way to determine what they choose. What feels good to them? What feels comfortable for them to embrace? And that's where America is today. It's not guided by the scriptures. People are not seeking God's input. Barna argues that worldview is more caught than taught in the U.S. But Paul warns believers in Colossians 2.8, he says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition." according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. This latest survey illustrates the need that we need in America good theology. We need good theology in our churches. We need good theology in our homes. Let's not take our theology and our beliefs from the world. Love that abounds in all discernment is love that is controlled by good theology. And theology must be applied to life with insight. It refers to the ability to make proper moral and spiritual decisions in the midst of a vast range of differing and difficult choices. The superabounding love that results in our lives today, Paul continues, so that you may be able to what? Discern what is best. This word discern or approve is the Greek word dokimazo. It is used in Greek to refer to testing of something or someone. It occurs in a political context for the testing of a candidate. Money is tested to determine if it's counterfeit. This word is used of text, uh, test, text, testing oxen in Luke 14 and testing the weather in Luke 21. You know, look at the sky and it's red, you know, certain things. Paul is in effect saying, my prayer for you is that you would have the capacity to evaluate and determine things that are excellent. The majority, unfortunately, don't test anything. 
They live by their moods and not by their minds. People don't want to think but want to be amused. They don't know how to approve things that are excellent because they can't control their minds and they just react. It's kind of like the pilot who said to the people on his airplane, I have some good news and some bad news. The bad news is we've lost all our instrumentation and we don't know where we are. The good news is we've got a tailwind and we're making great time. <laughs> the ability to distinguish is a mark of maturity. You know, when a baby first learns to speak, everything with four legs is what? Doggy. <laughs> But they grow and they mature and they understand language and they understand concepts as they grow. Finishing up verse 10, we read, so that you may be, able, may be able to discern what is best. Oh, I want to back up a little bit, if I could. Um, could you go to the slide before that? Uh, maybe not. <laughs> All right, go forward and go one more. Here we go. Sometimes we have to use wisdom to know what's right. I, I got this meme off of the internet. Actually, I think one of our own posted it. Lois, thank you for putting this up. I appreciate this. I like your posts. I get a lot of humor out of it. Uh, this one reads, when someone is going through a rough time, just sit with them. No preaching, no advice, just be there. <laughs> and isn't it true that sometimes we might see somebody going through a hard time and we might feel like coming down on them, really hit them with the truth, you know, tell them all the things they did wrong and how I would do it different. And maybe that's not their loving, loving approach. Maybe the right thing to do is just sit with them. Just let them know you're there for them. Now I think about Job's three friends. You know, they came and they sat with him for days without saying anything. That was the best thing they did. When they began to open their mouth with criticism, they were off the mark. So sometimes we need to speak the truth to them. At other times, we just need to be there. Paul prays for their love and excellence, but he also prays for their integrity. Integrity. The word pure is sincere in the New American Standard Bible and in the King James, New King James. So I'll read that to you. That you may approve the things that are excellent. That you may be, what? Sincere and without offense until the day of Christ. The word sincere means spotless in your character. I want to give you an illustration that has helped many to grasp this. The literal meaning of sincere in the Latin, the Latin being sincera, is where we get our English word sincere. And this word means literally to be 
without wax. That's the Latin word. The Greek word used here comes from krina, which means to judge, and the word for sunlight. So it means to test by sunlight. The idea is don't be a hypocrite. Don't pose to be one thing and then be another. In ancient times, the biggest industry in the world was the the pottery industry. I mean, everywhere and every place, they're making pottery for, for cooking, for serving, for everyday use. And so it was a big deal. Now, it was easy to make coarse pottery, cheap pottery. It was just always very thick, and it was easy to make, and it didn't crack much. But fine pottery was a different story. It was thin, and both... In the kiln and afterwards, it was easy for it to crack. Now, the the reasonable thing to do with this fine pottery once it's cracked is to discard it, right? But what if you're an unscrupulous dealer? You would take wax and you would apply a thin amount of wax to that broken place. And then you could still sell it as fine pottery. But the really quality dealers would do something. They would label their fine pottery sincera, meaning without wax. And the way that they could test it was by holding it up to the sunlight and looking to see, is this a quality product? And friends, I'm going to suggest to you, we need to be sincere people. To be honest, all of us fail in various ways. May not fail as much as when we were not a believer. We may not fail as much as when we were a young believer. But we still fall short. And let's not pretend and just cover those over with wax. Let's be sincere. Let's be pure. Let's avoid the hypocrisy that the world looks at and say, yeah, you guys. Don't want anything to do with your Christ because I've seen his Christians. Let's not be like that. Let's be genuine, not hypocritical. Let's be sincere. Let's be without wax. Well, what happens when we love this way? Verse 11 tells us, we are filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. When we love with this abounding love, when we are filled with the Holy Spirit and love people this way, the result is the fruit of righteousness. Paul prays for them to have mature Christian service, and that's what we want for everybody here today. Paul wants them to be filled and fruitful. He's not interested in us just being busy, but he wants the kind of fruit that results from God working through us. You know, the difference between spiritual fruit and human religious activity is that the fruit brings glory to Jesus Christ. When we do things in the flesh, there's that tendency to pat ourselves on the back 
and to boast about ourselves. But when we yield ourselves to God's Spirit, when the Spirit is working in our lives, producing the love and fruit of God, the glory goes all to God and all to His Son, Jesus Christ. Amen? I thought about the applications and I've, I've varied it a bit. And, and since God is working in particular ways in my life and my family this week, Debbie had surgery and it, uh, it was a bit of a challenge and she lost a lot of blood. As a result, she couldn't stand up for several days without feeling like she was going to black out. Well, you guys have been wonderful. You guys have expressed care. You have called. You have texted. You have been concerned for Debbie, and I thank you for the love that you have demonstrated. Many of you have brought food, and I understand there's more food in the kitchen. <laughs> Our cup overflows, literally. <laughs> we have seen the love of God through God's people at this place, and I thank you. And I just want to see that continue in the future as we love one another. Pray with me. Father God, thank you for the love that is shed abroad in our hearts. Lord, it originates in you. You were the ultimate loving person. You are love. We thank you, Father, that you reached out to us and you saved us, not because of our own works, but because of your love for us. And Father, now you ask us, because we are saved, to love one another and to love others. Father, I pray that your spirit, your ability would make us be able to love at a level beyond what we are capable of. And I pray, Father, it be to the glory of Jesus Christ. And in his name, his name we pray. Amen.